Hey, Austin Chapel. Good morning. So, like 36 hours ago, uh, we're trying to rent our house out. We're moving to Washington State, to Spokane, back home in about a month. And we're trying to find someone to rent our house. And this guy shows up and says, hey, I can do it, but I need you out in about four days. And so that was like 36 hours ago. Um, so that's, that's kind of crazy. So we've been packing, and uh, Melissa was over at the house, and, and her and another friend were in our closet. And I said, listen, i got to do the talk tomorrow. So this is like last night. And I said, like, these are the shoes, and this is the, the, these are the jeans, and these two shirts. I'm, I narrowed it down to these two shirts, but just don't touch this part of the closet. Everything else can go. And so I walk in the closet this morning, and I walk in, and I'm like, it's all gone. It's all, it's all on a truck right now. I'm sure, like in the far back of the truck, you know. So I'm winging it today. Uh, I got this is my Bill Murray shirt, so it's my good Bill Murray shirt. Uh, but I got my lucky underwear on, so we're good to go. We're good to go. I actually did that for my six and seven year old. Wanted me to make an underwear joke, so uh, so they can listen online and like, Daddy made an underwear joke. Uh, I love doing these talks. I love hanging out with you guys, and I used to talk about Jesus, so uh, that's pretty good. Um, when I come to church, I sometimes think about this. All over the world, right now, people are doing what we're doing. All around the world, millions and millions and millions of people are doing the exact same thing that we're doing. Um, some people got up early this morning, and they practiced music for worship. And other people got up, and they put the crafts in the back and the toys out so that they could tell the good news of Jesus through the children in the back. Um, uh, some people are meeting uh, in huts right now on dirt floors. Some people are meeting outside because they don't have a place to meet. Uh, and some people are meeting in secret right now because it's illegal to learn about Jesus wherever they live. And um, when I think about all of the people all over the world, you know, people setting up the cards and the Bibles and the pens and making it just so, and that we're all doing the same thing together, it makes me feel part of something really big. But it also makes me feel small. I heard a story uh, recently, and it was about uh, the 25th U.S. president, Teddy Roosevelt. And he had this friend. His name was William Beebe. And this guy was super smart. He traveled the world. He was an oceanographer, uh, kind of world-famous guy and a buddy of Teddy Roosevelt's. So when they would hang out at night after dinner, they would go for a stroll out on the lawn, and they'd go look at the stars. And they would scan uh, for... Um, the Great Square of Pegasus. So Big Dipper, go all the way up and keep going, and that's where the Great Square of Pegasus is. It's four stars in a square. And they would look for that, and they would look for a light, and Roosevelt would say, that's the spiral galaxy um, in Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It's one of 100 million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each of them larger than our sun. And then Roosevelt the most powerful man in the free world, would chuckle and say, now I think we're small enough, let's go to bed. Um, I think sometimes we can all use a good dose of humility and perspective about how big we really are. Um, so we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, humility, today. Uh, I was going to entitle this talk, Humility, How I've Mastered It. And how someday you can be like me. <laughs> they gave me a badge once for being so humble. Uh, but they took it away when I wore it. <laughs> uh, 
Stephen asked me to do the last couple talks, and, and he let me pick the topic. And I picked humility because I have this these couple of sermons that I listen to over and over and over, and they're the ones on humility. Um, they're my they're my favorite ones, and I keep coming back to it. So I kind of wanted to talk about it today. Um, humility is something we all struggle with, uh, and yet it's something that is absolutely critical um, as Christ followers that we continually try to get it right. Uh, we should be. Um, humility is the key to the kingdom. And what I mean by this is your first step when you become a Christ follower, the very first thing that you're doing is you're humbling yourself and you're saying at that point in time, I can't do it on my own. I'm not powerful. I can't do this anymore on my own. And so you're acknowledging, you're humbling yourself and you're, you're raising God up and saying, I need God. I need him. So that's the first thing. The key to the kingdom is humility. That's the first step. If we didn't need him, then we'd all be sleeping in right now and having waffles, right? Um, humility is the key to a lot of things. Uh, what if our workplaces and our relationships, our marriages, our schools, what if it was just drenched with a bunch of humility, like super saturated? What if that was the case? It would be a utopia. It would be wonderful. Like, uh, but it's sort of not how it is. Um, and so um, uh, today we're going to talk about humility. And uh, so let's pray for our time real quick before we continue. Hey, God, thank you for being here this morning in our midst. Uh, thank you for each person that's here today. Help us to learn more about you uh, and how we can be uh, try to act like you, Lord. In this, in this world that we live in. Uh, so, Lord, lead us today, and thank you for being in our presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, humility. Oh, yikes. Right? That's, uh, it's not very fun. Prepping for this talk, I became keenly aware of how I measure up, by the way. Like, you're doing a talk on humility, you're like, oh, it's, uh, it's a shot. Um, so for a few seconds before we get to the text, we're in Philippians 2, if you want to start heading there, if you brought a Bible, but um, before we get to the text, we're going to talk about humility, what it is and what it isn't, so we kind of have some definitions uh, before we proceed. So the first, the first thing is that, what is the opposite of humility? Well, that's pride. And today, uh, I'm going to maybe oversimplify it, but we're going to talk about the two forms of pride, kind of the big, the big forms of pride. And the first one is the obvious one, the self-promoter. This is the one that is very obvious when we see it in others, and it's the most difficult to see in ourselves, right? Um, we see pretension as part of this, pretense. So we, what we post on social media, how we conduct ourselves, how we speak to other people, the house we live in, the cars, and this is promoting ourselves, making it look like we have it all together. Um, I used to play soccer in high school, and uh, we had this, like, 10 years, decade of dynasty. Our high school was always in the quarterfinals for, like, 10 straight years. And my sophomore year and my senior year, we won the state championship. My junior year, we took second. And um, back then, like, that was, that was huge. That was everything. I thought it was hot stuff. You know, we were playing soccer. And uh, I kicked the winning goal my senior year to win the state championship. What I didn't tell you, though, is... There's 4A schools in Washington State, and then there's 3A, get smaller, 2A, and then there's the single-A schools. It's all the private, small Christian schools that don't have football teams that play soccer against each other, and we're like all the, all the little guys. Like, I probably wouldn't have made the JV team at any of the 4A schools, right? 
So now that I look back on the time, like I thought it was pretty, pretty hot stuff, and now I'm like, we were big fish in a very tiny pond, okay? And that's just, that's just the reality. Um, our greatness wasn't really that great, you know? The second definition of pride, um, this is not as obvious, it's subtle, and it's dangerous because it can be disguised as humility. This is self-pity and self-demotion. Um, the outcome, though, is the same as the other one, which is all the attention somehow ends up back on me. Okay? So have you ever called someone up on the phone? You're like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? I'm okay. <sighs> You're like, what's going on? And then you got to, like, spend the next hour with this person, listening to, like, them talk about themselves and complaining. And, you know, uh, that's okay sometimes. I think sometimes that's okay. But if, if it's the same way it's every time you talk to that person, that becomes uh, difficult to p- call those people back. I'm okay. Um, disguised humility is also when a person like, can't take a compliment. That's um, like a drill of self-demotion where like, you give someone a compliment and then you've got to spend 10 minutes uh, like convincing them how great they are. So it's, it's this thing where you're like, like, hey, you did such a great job, like, playing guitar or the drums. or Like, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You did such a good... I should throw that stupid thing away. I'm no good. I'm lousy. I shouldn't even have that thing. No, no, you're great. You're amazing. You're so good. Like, I just gave you a really nice compliment, and then you did this thing that was, like, really negative, and now i got to spend 10 minutes, like, giving you more compliments. You know, faux humility. Um, it still ends up back on... On me. Um, the goal should be to always be in the middle, in the middle of those two things. You're not promoting, you're not demoting, you're in the good place. You're in the middle. Max Ocato, in his, um, he tells a story in this book, Traveling Light. Uh, when author Lloyd Douglas attended college, he lived in a boarding house with a retired music professor who lived on the first floor. Douglas would stick his head in the door and ask, What's the good news? old man would pick up the tuning fork, tap it on the side of his chair and say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune, but that, my friend, is middle C. You and I, we need middle C. Um, We have it. The Lord is our shepherd. We have that good thing, uh, and we have his example. But when it comes to humility... Uh, as our middle C, um, as I prepared for this, I tried to find a really good definition of humility. Like what, so I told you what pride is, the opposite, and we talked about pride a little bit. But what is like humility? What's a good definition? And I thought this was pretty good. Um, humility is an accurate view of who we are in light of who God is. Humility is an accurate view of who we are in light of who God is. Uh, so uh, I told you we're going to be in Philippians. This is Paul's letter um, uh, and in this letter, it was meant to be a letter of encouragement to these folks. So as we read this about humility, take it as encouragement. Uh, God's big, he's good, and he can wipe away all the garbage that we leave in our wake, past or present. Um, so uh, Philippians 2, we're going to go 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves or others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, um, he made himself nothing by taking uh, the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's good stuff. I love this stuff. So the first thing that kind of jumps out to me, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's not what the world tells us, right? Selfish ambition, I think it's the same definition as the American dream, right? Get the house and get the cars and get the bank account and get all those things and grow them up and make it look good. It's not what the world tells us. Pride is selfish, and to gain for our own benefit is the world we live in. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having some money. Nothing wrong with that. But when the shiny things start swirling around us and uh, we get distracted and we start looking at those things and we take our focus off of God, that's when we get in trouble. Uh, you've heard this, like the word pride. You say, take pride in your work. Take some pride in your work. And I, I like that idea. I like that concept. Take a little pride. Um, but I heard this one. Honor God with your work. And I like that one better. I think they will achieve about the same outcome, like you're going to do some really good quality work. But one is about you, and the other is about God. And I think that lens is the lens that everything should, we should try to continually achieve um, where we're thinking about how is this going to honor God. What's the good thing I'm doing for him today? Um, I hear this a lot, too, the concept, like, well, I earn this. I deserve it. I worked hard to get where I'm at. Um, when we have an accurate view of who we are in light of who God is, we realize that we don't really deserve anything good because of us. All the good stuff comes from God. Second part of that verse, it talks about vain conceit. And so I Googled conceit and vanity. And in both of these definitions begin with the same two words, excessive pride. Ugh. Uh, well, pride's not good, and it's excessive pride, so that can't be good at all. Um, I read the word vain, and I think about the fourth commandment. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? We all agree. Like, okay, as long as I don't say the name of God or Jesus Christ, what I'm doing, my cousin, when I leave that out, I'm good. I can check the box, right? Like, I'm covered. I didn't murder anybody today yet, and uh, I, I also didn't take the Lord's name in vain. And I think that it's deeper, if you unpack it a little bit. It's deeper than just, like, not swearing. Um, so my wife, Allie, and I, we both grew up going to Christian schools through high school, and we went to a Christian university. And this is an example. Here's a couple examples of taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay, so uh, the first would be a guy would come up to a girl, and he'd be like, God spoke to me, and he told me, 
we're going to get married someday. <laughs> this actually happened up, uh, so Jamie Hyder, Scott's wife, up at the Grove, it happened to her at her Christian school, and she said, well, he didn't tell that to me, so, and she got out of the car and walked away. That was it with that guy. Um, that was some clarity. Um, the other one, the guy would date a girl for a little bit, and instead of just being a man and breaking it off and doing it the right way, it sounded like this, or something like this, an iteration of, I've been talking to God a lot, and he spoke to me. And he made it clear that I'm not the man that I need to be right now for him. And so how can I be the right man for you? I need to take some time, and we need to break this off, and I need to just focus on my relationship with him. Like, how do you argue with that? You know, like you use God's name to break up with a girl. She can't argue with, like, it's like, okay, well, God talked to you. And then, like, of course, the dirtbag, like, a week later would be with some other girl, but saying the same line, you know, doing another lap. God talked to me. Um, I had someone tell me that God spoke to them and that uh, with the way things were going with his real estate business, if I just came up with about 15 grand, uh, then we would all retire by the time we were 40. And he's, you know, like that's another way to use the Lord's name in vain. God talked to me and he said, you need to give me 15,000 bucks right now. Woo. Vanity, using God's name for your purpose. That's, that's, um, it's not just cussing. It's not just swearing. I totally believe God speaks to us. He can and does and it happens all the time. But my spidey senses always kind of perk up when I hear the, like, God spoke to me. Because there's the, like, God spoke to me, and I make 175 grand a year, and I'm going to quit my job and burn all my savings, and we're going to go to Haiti, and we're just going to love on some people and tell them the good news of Jesus. I'm like, okay, that sounds like something God would tell you to do, not the God told, you to, told me to tell you to go get your checkbook because, you know, we're all going to retire early. Um, that's kind of some of those listen fors. Uh, when people use uh, God's name. And I don't think it's a coincidence that immediately after he talks about these two things, the next verse says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but uh, each of you to the interests of others. And so that's the leveler. Like, what's the motivation for what we're doing? Um, Is this going to make me look good? Or is this to benefit God's kingdom? Is this going to help out other people? Am I lifting others up? If we believe in him, if we believe that he's good, we have an eternal perspective. If our true home is in heaven, um, this will be reflected in our relationship and how we deal with people. Problem, problems come when the pride creeps in, though. Um, and when the pride, cre- uh, pride creeps in and when it comes to our faith, we start making up our own religion. We start making up our own, our own version of, of, of uh, our, our relationship with Christ. The three most dangerous words in the church today are these three. You ready? Well, I think dot, dot, dot. Well, I think dot, dot, dot. Um, they follow up the words with stuff that's not in the Bible. Or they take something completely out of context and then they use it to make them feel better about their current situation. Um, Scripture is meant to give us hope. It should give us hope, but its purpose is not to make us feel warm and fuzzy down here. Okay? Um, especially if it's outside the will of God. 
So um, when that happens, that's, that becomes the new Todd American Standard Version. That's the, our, own, our own version of the Bible. So it's so dangerous um, when we use that conveniently for our purpose. So I took an exegesis Bible course in college, and we did Luke and Acts. And you spend an entire semester, and all you do is look at these two books, and you look at like what the Greek word was for this, and you, you really just try to get out what exactly is the context, and who is this written to, and what word did they use, and what's the definition of that word, and you're just really trying to get exactly what God is speaking out of the Bible. Um, the opposite of exegesis is called eisegesis. And that's when we take the Bible and we use it for our purpose, maybe for some judgment of other people, um, and oftentimes to justify our current bad behavior. And that's when you take what I need the Bible to tell me, and then I somehow take the Bible and pick and choose and, and make it say what I want it to say. Humility is the key to the kingdom. Humility is acknowledging that the Bible is God's word, divinely inspired, his truth that he's given to us. And if we believe in the Bible in its entirety, then using it or misusing it is, is not, what we're, not what we're about. Have you guys ever seen a baby uh, with the sorting toys and they try to take a square peg and they put it in a round hole and they keep going, they keep going, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. When we're following Christ, we conform to his rules. We play by his rules, not ours. I mentioned a term in my last talk, cultural Christianity, and uh, I got a call from this girl I work with, Sherry. She lives in California, and I work with her, and she called me up. She's like, I listen to the talk. I'm like, okay. She goes, cultural Christianity, what's that? And so I read this definition to her, and she said, that's exactly, her and her girlfriend had just had a talk about this, and that's exactly what she's frustrated uh, right now. Her frustration with other Christians in the church today is cultural Christianity. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, some of the following are identifying marks of cultural Christianity, denying the inspiration of Scripture or parts of Scripture, ignoring or downplaying true repentance as the first step towards knowing God, focusing on Jesus' love and acceptance to the exclusion of his teaching on hell, obedience, and self-sacrifice, tolerating or even celebrating ongoing sin while claiming to know God, redefining scriptural truths to accommodate culture, understanding Jesus to be primarily a social reformer rather than God in the flesh who is our sacrifice for sin, claiming God's promises while ignoring the requirements included with them, denying or minimizing Jesus' claim that he is the only way to God, performing enough religious activity to gain a sense of well-being without true devotion to Jesus, talking a lot about God in a general sense and very little about Jesus Christ as our Lord, seeing protection and blessing as goals to be achieved rather than byproducts of a love relationship with God. And finally, choosing a church based on any or all of the above. Does anybody in here drink caffeine-free Diet Coke? No? Nobody raised their hand. Why? Because it's worthless. <laughs> it's not as sweet, okay? And, and, and like the good sugar and caffeine, it's all gone, right? It has a Coke label. But it's, it's, not, it's just like caramel number five and water and some fizz, okay? 
And I would propose cultural Christianity is caffeine-free Diet Coke. It has a label, but none of the good stuff. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's ESV. The NIV says evildoers instead of lawlessness. Evildoers. The build-up to this verse is the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. And the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor, I'm going to do the thing where I say the pastor thing, the Greek thing. But the definition for this word poor that is used, it means not merely a peasant, but the pauper, the beggar, the lowest of the low, the extreme opposite of wealth. Someone who is completely and totally reliant on the charity of other people to survive. That word, poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, this word poor, this is like what we need to be doing with God. This is what he wants from us, is poor in spirit, our own spirit, rich in his spirit that dwells inside of us. I have a baby, Wilson, he's six, almost seven months old. And this concept is the opposite of how it works with kids. Okay, so he's six months old, and I have to do everything for this kid. Everything, right? It's bottles, it's stinky diapers. I have to carry him everywhere. He throws up all over everybody all the time. That's not, there's no hyperbole, too. He, he throws up all over everybody all the time. Uh, we call it a Wilson poncho. You put a, a towel over here, and that way at least your shirt is saved uh, to see another day. Um, but that concept of, like, hopefully at some point he continues to grow and mature and he'll become less reliant and less reliant on me until finally he reaches an age of majority and we send him off in the world to go get a job and be a productive member of society at some point. That's, that's kind of how it is, but it doesn't work that way with God. We don't, like, graduate. We don't get our black belt. Like, hey, God's like, hey, I don't, you, know, you don't need me anymore. You know, go get him, TC. That's not how it works. It's the opposite of how it works with a baby. As we grow in Christ, as we refine our humility we become more and more and more dependent on him, not less. Humility is the key to the kingdom, and Christ is our great example. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I like the under the earth. Like making sure like it's all inclusive. Everybody's included. It's only technicality. Um, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's good stuff. So as we um, close our time, let's talk about, like, what are we going to do this week? You're going to walk out the door? Like, what, what, how do we take this message of humility and apply it immediately? So first, how can we make our relationship with God better? Um, Zechariah 4.6 gives this instruction. Overcoming obstacles, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When we realize we can't do anything great about God, uh, without God, uh, we humble ourselves. We're focused on him, and we're not focused on us anymore. Our identity is in Christ, and his spirit gives us all the strength we need. We talked about it like in church leadership quite a bit. Um, 
we start just getting, I mean, week after week after week of coming to church and you're setting up chairs and you're doing stuff, and if you become bitter and, and you get tired, the answer to that is, like, what am I doing this for? What's my motivation? Am I doing this on my power or am I doing it on his power? Um, that was always kind of a good gut check. Um, I think a lot of people try to do this thing. Like if I study enough and I read my Bible enough and if I like try hard enough, then someday I'm going to be ready to be in a good place with God. And it's not that way. It's not the truth. We can't do it on our own. And so um, people misquote the Bible all the time. They, they think it's in there somewhere. They say, God will never give you anything you can't handle. God will never do that to you. God will never give you more than you can handle. Amen, sister. It's not in there, by the way. It's not like that's not a thing. Um, there are stuff, there, there is, it's the whole purpose is we're going to have stuff that overwhelms us. We're going to have big, heavy, hard stuff happen, and it's going to be too much. And so we need God to help us. We need his help. That's the whole point. He's never going to give us more than we can handle without him and his help. The other, uh, the other thing, uh, as we go out of this place and, and we think about our relationships at work and in marriages and just, just in general, um, I would say um, ask God to help you. And this is for like, so how can, how can my relationship with God get better and how can my relationship with people get better? Ask God for help. Ask God for help. It's okay. There's no like bad ask when it comes to God. It's not like, like, well, I asked him to bless the food, so I kind of use my, my, my request for the day. It's like, no, ask him to help you. When it comes to relationships with him, ask for his help. And when it comes to relationship with people, um, I've heard this before, and I love it. It's in relationships and when dealing with people, always assume there's one more thing that you don't know. Always assume there's one more fact that you don't have. And that's that humble part. That's like, if I'm prideful, I know... I know what's going on with you, and I know what your problem is, right? But if I'm humble, and I just assume, I don't see, I look around this room, and like being in church leadership enough, you look around a room, and you see nodding, you see tears, you see, and you know some of the stories and what's going on with, with people, and you look around the room, and it gets pretty heavy. We don't know what people walked in here with today. Everybody walked in with something, something from work, something from school, something from life, heavy stuff stuff. And if we always assume we don't have all the information when we deal with people and relationships, I think we're going to, not I think, we will value others above ourselves, we'll listen well, we'll love them well, and we'll be really, really good forgivers. Humility is the key. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Thank you for being so big and for being so good. You are worthy of all of the praise. It's your breath in our lungs, Lord. <laughs> Great are you, Lord. That song we sang right before this, Lord. That is, that is our prayer today, Lord. You're so great. Thank you for being in this place with us. Help us, Lord. We can't do this without you. We need your help. Show us what you have for us right now, Lord. We ask for your guidance in our relationships that we have. Help us to listen well. Help us to not assume that we know everything. Help us to not put on false pretenses with other people, but just to be real and be humble. 
Help our relationships to get more genuine, Lord. Help us to continually rely more and more and more on you because you're good. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.